Hey, Adriana here. I wanted to let you know that starting this week, we'll be going back to our older format of one episode per week so that we can start easing into the summer and you can have more time catching up and going through our fabulous Birthful Library. Happy listening. Ugh, I love Jenny Kane. At this very moment, I'm feeling so comfy and cozy as I'm practically getting a hug from my Jenny Kane crop cashmere cocoon cardigan. I am enjoying this sweater so much that I've been living in it all spring long. And with Mother's Day just around the corner, this is a feeling you can gift all the well-deserving moms, moms-to-be, and mother figures in your life by giving them the gift of Jenny Kane. Along with bringing you this episode, Jenny Kane is a California brand through and through, and their staples make getting dressed so super easy. Think minimalist and effortless, but totally refined. Jenny Kane means luxurious cashmere sweaters, iconic accessories, elevated versions of your everyday basics, plus the most incredible home essentials. For a limited time, Birthful listeners get 15% off their first order. Go to JennyKane.com and use the code BIRTHFUL15 to get 15% off and support the show. Jenny Kane is known for their quintessential sweaters, with their cotton collection providing you with the perfect everyday pieces as the days get warmer. But they also have gorgeous sundresses in a variety of silhouettes for any occasion and spectacular sandals to go along with them. Find the perfect Mother's Day gift or curate your new spring go-tos at JennyKane.com. Birthful listeners get 15% off your first order when you use the code BIRTHFUL15 at checkout. That's 15% off your first order at J-E-N-N-I-K-A-Y-N-E dot com, promo code BIRTHFUL15. Get yourself and the mothers in your life the gift of Jenny King. Pregnancy and postpartum are some of the most nutritionally demanding times of your life, which makes sense because you're basically acting as your baby's pantry while pregnant or nursing. That's why the quality of your prenatal supplements is so vitally important. Hands down, the one I recommend is needed. So I'm thrilled to say that if you use the code BIRTHFUL at thisisneeded.com, you can get 20% off your first month of Needed products. Needed is the number one nutrition brand recommended and used by me and over 4,000 practitioners from nutritionists to midwives, functional medicine doctors, and OBGYNs. Needed is for anyone trying to conceive, pregnant, postpartum, and really, this is goodness you can use even before and beyond the perinatal years. Along with prenatals, Needed offers premium supplements for every stage, from egg quality support to a lactation support plan, a stress and sleep support plan, and a gut health plan. In fact, I've had clients rave about Needed's pre- and probiotic formula, saying how much better it made them feel compared to their usual probiotics. And to me, Needed's hydration support packets, which only have ingredients you can pronounce, are a must in any doula or hospital bag. Also, Needed's prenatal multi is available in capsules and easy-to-take vanilla powder for those with nausea or pill fatigue. 
head over to thisisneeded.com and use the code BIRTHFUL for 20% off your first month of Needed products. That's thisisneeded.com and use the code BIRTHFUL for 20% off your first month of Needed products. Hello, hello, mighty parent or parent-to-be. Welcome to Birthful. I'm Adriana Lozada, and today we are starting a new series that is going to focus on helping you get a head start on some of the big logistics that need to be in place by the time that your baby arrives. And so we very aptly named the series the Get a Head Start on Your Postpartum Logistics series. Because what else would we call it? (laughs) In today's episode, we're going to tackle what you need to consider to start planning your parental leave and how to best go about that. So I am thrilled to have Ariana Taboada here for this conversation, not only because I so enjoy talking with her, but more importantly, because Ariana is an expert at helping people plan their parental leave. Ariana holds a master's in social work and a master of science in public health, and she frequently speaks and writes about parental leave as an issue of social justice, human rights, and economic equity. She's also the author of The Expecting Entrepreneur, A Guide to Parental Leave Planning for Self-Employed Business Owners. Now, As a society, we are quick to reduce parental leave to a numbers game, but it's obviously way more than just the math. Ariana is here to explain how to figure out what options are available to you regardless of who you work for and how you can plan for a return to work that preserves the emotional, mental, and physical well-being of your whole family. You're listening to Birthful, here to inform your intuition. Welcome, Ariana. I am so happy to have you back on the show. And as we start, why don't you tell the listeners a little bit about yourself and how you identify? Sure. And Adriana, as always, it is so much fun to be back in conversation with you. I am a maternal health researcher by training, um, worked as a health professional for several years before transitioning into private practice and entrepreneurship. And some of the ways that I identify um, are I I still strongly identify as kind of working within health systems and being an advocate in the health space. I identify as a mother. I identify as the daughter of immigrants and part of a binational, bicultural, bilingual family um, and have moved back and forth myself between uh, here in California and central Mexico many times. <laughs> and I also identify as as an entrepreneur. It's one of the the things that has been kind of a an identity development journey <laughs> of itself. And you have a book also, which is all about the topic that we're going to talk about today in broad strokes, although you kind of specialize in people who are service-based entrepreneurs. Yeah, so I guess I should add on, I should add author to how I identify. Yeah. And well, last time I had you here, we were talking about helping people plan to return to work. And I think we're going to take a few steps back today, actually, and just 
go to the even before. So when preparing for parental leave, I think first people need to understand what options are available to them. So can we clarify for the listeners a bit what those options are, at least in the U.S.? Sure. You know, if if you have had a kid, you are probably aware that uh, that we really don't have much infrastructure here in the U.S. We're the only high-income country that does not have a federal paid leave policy. Um, what we do have is legislation that was passed in 1993 under President Clinton. That's the Family Medical Leave Act. And that is something that most people are familiar with as like the one, the one policy thing we have in terms of federal leave. Um, so it is job protection, essentially. There are a bunch of criteria that you have to meet in order to be eligible for FMLA to actually be protected under that legislation. Some of those things include working, having worked at a company for 12 months to be eligible Uh, The company has to have 50 employees or more. So that usually means that small businesses are left out of FMLA. And what FMLA does is it protects your job for up to 12 weeks for, as, as the title says, for family or medical leave. So that includes things like pregnancy, either through birth for a new baby, adoption. It also covers certain health conditions. So that is FMLA, and it's broadly available for everybody because that's federal level, if you meet that criteria. Now, there are some states that offer paid family leave. Can you talk about that part? Sure. And we'll also, I know it's a lot of information, so we'll provide um, a link in in the show notes to a great resource that kind of breaks down the state-level coverage um, where there is a state-level paid leave policy. So again, FMLA is just job protection. It does not include any payment. um, And these paid leave policies at the state level actually provide a financial benefit. Uh, And even within the states that have a, a paid leave program, there's a lot of variation in what it looks like. There are differences across them because each state has different politicians and committee members and advocates that have been putting forward different different ways of providing a, a paid leave program. So again, eligibility, it differs across states. Um, for example, in some places it does cover self-employed people, in other places it does not. And The wage replacement also varies and is dependent on income. And there are there are some notes kind of in the policies as they're passed that as inflation changes, that the amounts will be reevaluated and reassessed. So depending on how much you earn on a weekly basis, um, sometimes that can be up to 90 percent of your wages are being replaced. Sometimes that means it's more like half. So it really depends on how much you're making in your kind of day to day job will determine what the amount of the benefit actually replaces for you as an individual. Well, and as great as it is that there are some things in place for people like FMLA and paid family leave in some states, there's so many little nuances to it that if we look at the amount of people that are not covered, right, that don't qualify for FMLA or paid family leave, which can include small businesses and freelancers and solopreneurs and people hired as contractors. It's an enormous chunk of the population. And I also want to say that there's a lot of people who don't end up taking their FMLA or shorten their paid family leave because they can't afford it. 
the amount of money that you're losing regardless is is something that might not be sustainable for your family to take advantage of that time off. So how does anyone determine how much time to take off in your experience? Yeah. So I think to answer the question, the going back to some of the context you provided is is so helpful. Like you said, unpaid family leave is something that is truly not accessible in a place where we don't have any federal policy that makes it accessible. And so the some of the latest stats um, is that we have over 100 million people who don't have access to even a single day of paid leave. And, and that is, that's an atrocity in, in a high income, income country. Well, and to put into perspective, right, we're talking nuances in the US, but if you're listening from outside this country, you're probably in disbelief or sadly crying or laughing. Like it's emotional because the US is one of the very few countries in the whole world. I think we're bottom two or three or something that don't offer any kind of paid family leave for their families in the world. Yeah, that and it, and it's not because the US as a country cannot afford it, right? I think that's kind of what we're dancing around. It's because there's not a priority on infrastructure for families. Which is so sad that we're having these conversations that take years and years to try to make little efforts into these advances when, if you look at other countries, we're talking months when we're fighting for weeks. And I think that really puts it into perspective of how little we prioritize our families in this country. Yeah. I didn't mean to go on a rant, but it, it is rant worthy. It <laughs> is rant worthy. It is rant worthy. Because we're suffering, right? There's Tell us a little bit about the impact of not being able to take time off to take care of your child and yourself postpartum for several weeks or months. Yeah. So, I mean, right now, one out of four birthing people go back to work before 10 days are over, uh, before 10 days postpartum. So you can imagine if you've, if you've given birth, you can imagine what kind of shape your body is in your mental state. And that is what we know from from research is how important paid leave policies are for health outcomes, not just for, for a birthing person, but from a two generation perspective for a child's health, um, for a family's well being. And so it becomes really hard when it feels like the the trade-off it's you know all the pressure is put on an individual to figure out how to make it work first of all and then it's almost like you have the competing priorities of do i prioritize my both immediate health and and my long-term health or do i prioritize economic stability for my family and that's that's really the choice we're forcing people to make without paid leave in place and and women low-income workers gig workers communities of color are hit the hardest when we have to make choices like that. So given the reality that we have right now and what people have to deal with, how can they figure out how much time they can take off? Yeah, so see, we made it full circle. Context matters <laughs> in terms of figuring out how much time to take off. I think about it kind of in two different ways. So I'll start with, for those who are uh, employees and have 
have full-time employment. Some of the most important things to review are your FMLA eligibility. And also based on what state you're in, you can review what resources are available to you at the state level. Um, So looking at FMLA, your state resources, and then your company resources. At this day and age, companies have also really had to step in where government has not and say, okay, we're going to figure out a way how to care for our workers, retain our workers. Um, And so policies vary across companies, but there are a lot of companies that are trying to kind of take take on that challenge and fill in the gap. And so figuring out what is what is accessible to you through your company is a great first step. HR is kind of the, the typical place um, you can go to. If you have a working parents group at your organization, that is also a great place to go for peer kind of lived experience information and intel, if you will, on what people have done. And once you feel like you have information, um, going to your manager and kind of starting the conversation from a really informed place is one way that I've seen give people kind of the upper hand, if you will, on figuring out how to how to not just like take whatever happens to be available, but to understand what are the resources that you can access and then propose a plan based on what you have access to. And of course, what your personal kind of financial and personal needs are. How far in advance should people be starting to prepare for this transition? I definitely um, think it's appropriate to start talking about it as early as your sixth month of pregnancy. I mean, most you're going to be looking pregnant by then. So folks at work will likely know that you're going to be taking some kind of time to to have your baby and be with the baby for for a little bit, hopefully at least. And it can be kind of a a great, um, you know, taking the lead to be the one to bring up the topic as opposed to, you know, wondering when it's going to come up or, or having kind of an awkward, awkward silence with your colleagues, especially if you're in a small workplace. Um, So definitely bring it up. And I would say as early as six months pregnant. The one thing I definitely say, avoid doing is don't wait for the back to work conversation or that negotiating piece to happen in your immediate postpartum because you're I mean, People talk to you about the sleep deprivation and the, all the emotional things that can come up, um, but you're, you know, you're also just so far removed from your professional role in those first few weeks that you don't want to have to shift back into that in order to advocate for yourself. Um, so give yourself the time beforehand to do the negotiating, do the working out of logistics so that you can enjoy those, those postpartum days and weeks. So the other, <laughs> the other group that, that I spend a lot of time thinking about is people who are not full-time employees, who are business owners, freelancers, gig workers. And so there, the amount of time is, is informed kind of by a variety of factors. A lot of times it comes down to the financial resources that you can kind of cobble together. Um, so looking at your business model, cash flow in the business, thinking about ways to Uh, experiment with or reshape how you are offering services or what if you have a team how your team is functioning and what role you're specifically in and really thinking carefully about how you can take time to step away from kind of the hands-on day-to-day role that that most business owners tend to have. And I love that you mentioned going into it from an informed perspective 
for employees, right? Because it's so easy to be overwhelmed by trying to plan for taking your leave. So I think just taking baby steps of, okay, I am going to early in my pregnancy or really whenever you start, but the earlier, the better of just starting to gather that information so that you then are are able to make the choices that are right for you and not be just like, oh, I just want this done, overwhelmed, just give me whatever. Yeah, I mean, for for anyone, it kind of is like a little side project that you have to (laughs) take on. There's kind of a research phase and then there's a, okay, I'm gonna go into planning mode phase and then there's an implementation (laughs) phase. Totally, absolutely. So piggybacking on all that, What do people need to consider when figuring out how to fund their parental leave, whatever that might look like? Yeah. So again, we are unfortunately starting with the reality that you, that most people are likely going to self-fund their leave in some way. Sometimes it'll literally be coming out of their pocket. Sometimes it'll be coming out of a state program fund. Sometimes it'll be coming out of a company budget. So Knowing that there's likely some amount of money, you will have to figure out (laughs) how to cover. One of the places that I most like to start is actually having people look at their personal or household's budget um, to really think about what what kind of cushion do I have there? Do I have savings? If I needed to put things on a credit card for a while, would I be willing to do that? Are there places in my budget where I can actually make some changes and cut some expenses now in order to give myself a little more flex down the road? So that's a good place to start. And that that can feel <laughs> kind of scary. I mean, there's there's a lot of new things coming at you in pregnancy and heading into birth. And so adding this layer of like financial planning can feel <laughs> pretty unnerving. I'll just, I want to name it, right? Acknowledge that. (laughs) Oh my gosh. So unnerving. There's so much responsibility to it. I always try to tell people really take a good hard look at how much you can afford, but do try to take off as much as possible. We were talking about this ahead of time that research says that people from all over the world that are able to take longer amount of time They kind of hit, you were saying around six months, I've seen around 10 months to be kind of like the ideal amount of time, regardless of money that people feel is appropriate for their family. So trying to get to six months feels so big. However, then how close to three months can you get? And if you're only looking at 10 days, can you get two weeks or three weeks. It's really important to see if you can extend this as much as possible, I guess, is the point I want to make. Would you agree? Yeah. I mean, we've been talking about like, how do you fund it? That's just one part of the equation. I think in that it can feel hard when the trade-off is, okay, if I take more time, what is the impact on my finances? But on the other hand, it's if I take less time, what is the impact on my health? What's the potential impact on my mental health? What's the potential impact on the bonding time? And just allowing yourself transition time into into a new chapter in your life. And so I, I tend to be in the same boat. Like the question of, should I even take leave at all? I'm like, a definitely yes. <laughs> Let's figure out some creative ways of how 
that can look for you. And so knowing that in the US, at least, we have this mental model of 12 weeks based on FMLA. But like you said, that's it's an arbitrary number. It is not actually based on any empirical evidence that 12 weeks is an amount of time that makes sense in terms of you know, parent-infant attachment in terms of health outcomes, in terms of economic participation in the workforce. And so that six months that I mentioned and, and the 10 months that you mentioned, that tends to be studies that are looking at a variety of things. It's looking at breastfeeding rates. It is looking at infant health. Um, it is looking at, at workforce participation. It is looking at maternal mental health and perinatal health. And so we really start thinking about this is there's a lot of different factors to consider and trying to figure out what's the financial piece, but also what's what's the mental piece, what's the emotional piece, what is the the things that I as an individual know about myself that can help inform how much time I feel like I will really not just need, but want <laughs> in your ideal world, what would you desire in terms of time you have to be becoming a family. Based on kind of my work in, in both the working with one-on-one -on -one with individuals and being having been in a clinical setting and then being right now really immersed as a researcher, it differs so widely for everyone. Um, it seems like some people, you know, are, are kind of sitting at home thinking about what am I going to do when I go back to work if they have a three-month leave, um, whereas other folks take five months and they're really not ready to transition back in at that point. Um, so there's there's not a right time kind of health-wise or, or even mental health-wise, but there's definitely a right time for you. So thinking about what that right time for you might be is, I think, the key, the key element in in negotiating in whatever way you are able to the time that best meets your needs. Diaper rash. It can be a truly uncomfortable experience for a baby. And so I find that one of the biggest conundrums when diapering is figuring out what diaper cream to use. So many options are thick and goopy, making them hard to apply and hard to wipe off. But I can personally say that this is not the case for Dr. Mom Butt Balm. Dr. Mom Butt Balm is a pediatrician-approved skin protectant that is free from dyes, preservatives, and zinc oxide, designed as a breathable formula to help maintain an optimal skin barrier while allowing the healing to occur. This butt balm was developed by a mom who is also a doctor, hence the name Dr. Mom Butt Balm, when she couldn't find any traditional products that worked for her baby's persistent diaper rash and she wasn't about to settle. So she created Dr. Mom Butt Balm to go on smooth and be easy to remove while also being gentle on your baby's delicate skin. With Dr. Mom Butt Balm, you can say goodbye to excessive wiping to clean your little one's already chafed skin. Dr. Mom Butt Balm is so soft and goes on so smooth that you'll only need a small amount instead of having to layer on a thick goop. Plus, it has a lovely minty scent. Learn more about Dr. Mom Butt Balm at drmombuttbalm.com. That's drmombuttbalm.com or look for it at Amazon.com. 
Today's episode is sponsored by Acorns, and sometimes I find that investing gets put off because it doesn't seem urgent or because with our busy lives, we may not have the time to research and manage said investments, which is why I so appreciate that Acorns makes it easy to start automatically saving and investing for your future and that you don't need a lot of money or expertise to invest with Acorns. In fact, you can get started with just your spare change. So for example, I take advantage of Acorns Roundup feature where they round up the purchase amounts I make in my linked account to the nearest dollar and then they automatically transfer that to my invest account portfolio. Also, Acorns can recommend an expert build portfolio that fits you and your money goals, then automatically invests your money for you. For me, that's easy peasy investing. Head to acorns.com slash birthful or download the Acorns app to start saving and investing for your future today. Client testimonial may not be representative of all clients. Tier 1 compensation provided. Compensation provides an incentive to positively promote Acorns. View important disclosures at acorns.com slash birthful. Investing involves risk, including loss of principal. Please consider your objectives, risk tolerance, and Acorns fees before investing. Acorns Advisors LLC Acorns is an SEC-registered investment advisor. Brokerage services are provided to clients of Acorns by Acorn Securities LLC. Member FINRA SIPC. For more information, visit acorns.com. Considering that you won't quite know exactly when's the right time for you until you're kind of in it, to sort of plan for that flexibility seems like it would be a, a good idea. Yeah, I mean, I've I've never met anyone who regretted taking more time. It's way easier to go back in a little earlier than expected or to do a little work here and there before you're technically back back in. And that's much easier than to all of a sudden have to be, you know, at your desk full time and really feeling like you're not ready for that and you wish you had taken more time. So erring on the side of, of caution and more space, more time is always a smart thing to do. Yeah. And I think it's important also to stress we've been focusing a lot on the, the primary caregiver, usually the birthing person, but the importance also for the partner to go through this process as well and see how much they can take and to take as much as possible just because there are as many benefits for the partner as for the the primary caregiver in terms of their long-term involvement then and connection with their their children and involvement in the family so there are really great benefits to them long-term as well do you know of more benefits i'm sure you do <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I know you had Amy Henderson on <laughs> in the past. So that episode probably covers some of the really interesting work about how all parents of all genders benefit from being having the time and space and, and support to transition into parenthood. And I think some of what is so exciting about the paid leave policy proposals and also the way companies are, are redesigning their leave programs and policies is, is to lose that distinction between quote unquote primary and secondary and to have gender neutral parental leave policies and recognize that investing resources into all parents <laughs> being able to have that time is so crucial. And it actually pays dividends on the health front, on the kind of economic security and safety front, on the workforce participation front. And so all of the best possible outcomes that we would want to see happen <laughs> it are, are more possible when we have adequate time 
uh, built into policies and when they're gender neutral policies. And we need to remember and understand that it's good for the family, it's good for the community, and it's good for the country. Like, it's a win-win-win for everybody at all levels. So, okay, in terms of, of, of getting ready for this, you have suggestions of how to start preparing during pregnancy and then things you can do while you're in the post in that early postpartum period. Can you tell us a bit of what those might be during pregnancy, for example? So we talked a little bit about that negotiation piece, negotiating during pregnancy with your workplace, your employer, with your team. And if you work for yourself, um, you kind of have to you know, sit down with yourself as the boss and figure out um, that when is right for me time. Some people you know, wait until week 41 to, to have their, you know, official stop work date. And if you, I mean, babies come when they, when they want to come. So if you um, have any power in that decision or any flexibility in that decision, you might want to think about, you know, how tired am I going to be or how logistically, what things do I have to get done before the baby arrives and think about, you know, do I want to take maybe a day or two or even a week or two. Um, I've known clients who stopped at 37 weeks, um, at 38 weeks. And I've also known people who, um, you know, plan to stop at, at 38 weeks and went into labor early and had a, had a preemie um, at 32 weeks. And, and you can make it work. Um, it's just spending the time thinking about it before you, before you end up in, in the thick of it, having to make those important decisions. Mm-hmm. And I just, I think just like you said before of, it's hard to tell when the right time is for you until you're kind of in it for that postpartum. Uh, one of the things that I like to tell my doula clients is starting like at week 36, start telling yourself or asking yourself several times during the day, if I were to go into labor right now, am I well rested? Yeah, I mean, that's a great thing. And if the answer is no, <laughs> then, you know, do something about it. Yeah, and I love that. Are you well rested that, you know, taking the time and, and asking yourself that question and maybe I'll I'll add in and I don't know, you know, if, you, if you're using the well rested already, feel free to use, add an additional uh, little question of, am I well supported? Do I have the things in place, the people in place, the networks, the supportive networks to, to have the type of experience that I want to have for myself. So that might be things like, like thinking about not only a doula for birth, but a postpartum doula, or it might be thinking about a new mom group in your community that you can join after, Um, or it might be having Having looked up a, you know, if for knock on wood again, if for whatever reason a a mental health condition comes up, do I know, do I know the number of a hotline? Do I know the number of a local mental health professional that I could call and and get assessed? Um, So that again, when you're in those postpartum weeks and if you happen to need any of those things, you're not having to do the research at that time. You have those at your fingertips. Mm, I love adding that component of am I well supported to it? Yes. Now, what do you need to think about or how do you plan for returning to work? Sure. So this is this is one of the topics I love because, <laughs> because I just feel like it is impossible to imagine that one day we are 100% on like leave or 
parent only mode and the next day we are 100% on work mode, we need a little bit more transition time as humans <laughs> and to adapt to our reality. And so there, there are five things that I often kind of bring up or try and center in the conversation around returning to work. Um, the first is just that the transition time to really embrace that spirit of experimentation, curiosity as you transition, um, because there will be changes in everything from how you feel and your identity to just the logistics of things and how you show up at work. Um, the second thing is addressing health needs. So another area we fall short, postpartum care in this country. <laughs> so there, uh, actually the, the World Health Organization standards are, are for postpartum visits to cover a variety of things, including physiological recovery, mental health, emotional health, lactation support. You said four? Four, four visits. So four, and people usually get one right. at six weeks, which seems so long, yeah. so far out. Right. That one visit even falls woefully short of, of what we, again, what we know, what we have evidence for being um, a driver of positive health in the long term. And so before going back to work, where there will be real demands um, multiplying on your time, making sure that you assess what your health needs are and try and get any issues that are coming up or that are ongoing addressed um, or at least starting to, to address them before you head back. A, another uh, aspect to, to think about is childcare logistics. I mean, that falls, it falls in right in with kind of the, the transition, but it is, I have found it incredibly helpful to have folks actually start transitioning into childcare before their first day back at work. It gives your child time, to get used to a new arrangement and it gives yourself time to actually have provides this little buffer where you have some time where you are not in parent mode um, and you're not yet in work mode. And so just allows, allows yourself some time and space to think about the upcoming transition. Support. Support is another thing, both social support at a kind of community, friends, chosen family level. Uh, and also work support. So again, as we had talked about earlier, are there working parent groups that could support you? If there isn't a formal working parents group, is is there other parents at the place where you work where you could informally <laughs> turn to them? And supportive managers are are also one of the things that can really help shape the trajectory of someone's return to work. And I think the last thing that I would mention in terms of an important aspect of returning to work is to know what your boundaries are and practice communicating them. So that can be boundaries around simple things like your start and end time. If you have childcare drop off or pick up, there, there's our hard stops and, and times where you are simply not available to, to be in where pre pre-baby you may have been or you may have had more flexibility and so kind of both establishing boundaries and being able to to remind people of those new boundaries if they are things that um, are different from from your previous work life all that you said is is clearly fantastic and really like as you were talking i was like yes i remember this and i remember just the child care logistics for me particularly was the most daunting part of all this and that trying to identify what's most overwhelming for you 
and then plan, like you were saying, project manage it, go into research and then plan for it. Even just start scheduling on your in your calendar of when you're going to take the time to research it. And also, I would like to bring in the flexibility. And I know that you are a, a fan of this anyway, is of understanding that how you might feel today that you are planning and pregnant might be very different to when the time actually comes to return to work and depending on how your birth went and what's going on with your family life, how your postpartum recuperation is happening. All of those things can influence. So trying to figure out some flexibility around your return to work seems like it'll go easier if you have some more flexibility. So do you have any tips for people in terms of how to build that flexibility? Yeah, so I think literally building it into your return can sometimes look like on-ramping based on that element of transition time. So having your first day back be a Wednesday instead of a Monday, so you only have half a week. Having your first two weeks back be part-time or or kind of fewer hours than you normally would. And some of a lot of those things are things that people don't know that they can ask for or propose, but things that most most places, um, whether you, of course, if you work for yourself, it's like things you can build and say yes to. And if you are proposing it to your company, a lot of times coming in with a plan is the thing that will get someone to say, oh, I can see you've given a lot of thought to this. Sure, we can have you ramp on in this particular way. And people just don't know, you know, you don't know what you don't know. So it can be hard to ask for things that you don't know you can even ask for. Um, but those are two examples of really clear ways to have it actually feel like a transition. Starting midweek, starting at part-time or ramping up to, to your regular hours. And also another piece of the logistics is literally blocking off your calendar in very clear ways. Like having do not disturb DND times if you're pumping, having your very clear like out of office from at X hour or out of office before X hour in the morning if, if you're doing, if you're playing the childcare <laughs> game of drop off and pick up. And I love that because it'll actually help you too to really create those boundaries because it's much easier to, to it. Your calendar will help you if it's already in there as opposed to when it gets that to that time and you're like, ah, oh, but we're not quite finished here. Well, if everybody knew that you had to be finished and remind were, and were reminded that you had to finish at four, at three, at whatever time, five, then the, that's setting the tone instead of you having to physically, verbally remind everybody else. Mm -hmm. I like that. I like that. And also to remember, remember that when your partner goes back to work, that that is also a time of huge transition, not just for them, but for you in terms of however you've created your family dynamics up to then of your rhythms with your newborn and that that's a drastic change. So to plan for that transition, bringing in extra support as you need. Yeah, I think all of the return to work stuff also means looking at what support you need in order to, to make that transition. So the same way that we thought about, I know you help people think about 
in those early postpartum days, what kind of support are you going to need? You can think of this as, as another one of those moments to say, okay, assess what I, what I currently have access to in terms of, do I need help with meals? Do I need help with um, like basic household stuff? Do I need time for myself? And, and articulating those and thinking about what will help, what kind of support do I need at this particular transition point? And, you know, not, not many places are generous with paternity leave, let's say, but split time, split leave is something that folks have talked to me about in the past. So let's say sometimes, you know, the, the person who gave birth has a certain amount of time, but the partner has actually a few weeks that they could take, might be paid, might be unpaid. So, you know, the decision of do, I t- do we take those at the exact same time or do we stagger, right? Again, it's a personal decision and there might be um, kind of my go-to recommendation would be take maybe a few weeks together so that like the first one, two weeks while you're kind of in that post, post-birth glow. Um, but then you might want to have that person save their other few weeks for when mom has to transition back to work. Um, That's something that I've seen work for a few families. Mm, I can see how that would work also because it can take off a little bit of the stress of the daycare or of adding that component to it of who's taking care of your child, which is a sort of a separate component than you transitioning as an individual back to work. Right. It's, it's like a, a whole, a whole big thing in and of itself. (laughs) Yeah. So that can help split the the two things. Do you have any tips for people who have to unfortunately go back almost immediately that don't have sort of three weeks to prepare or to do a gradual reentry? I would schedule during your last few weeks of pregnancy, the doctor's visits or visits to other professionals or even home visits, if, if you have professionals in your life who are doing that, to schedule those ahead of time so that you don't have to be kind of figuring out if, you know, knock on wood, if you have any health issues, including mental health issues that come up for you postpartum, you really have those linkages, those phone numbers, those appointments even set up. Um, So typically in the U.S., you have kind of your six-week postpartum checkup. And so we also, we see a gap there. So especially if you're going back to work at, let's say, the three-week Mark, um, make sure you have a visit before you go back. Don't let that be something that that's left lingering until you're, you know, back full force in the work mode. And and we tend to, to put our own health on the back burner. Yeah. I want to talk about the the emotional component of going back to work, because sometimes that can be harder than you thought. Talk to me about your experience with this this part of of that transition sure and i i think i'll i'll split it into kind of two different sub themes because there's the the emotional piece around the logistics of you know going back to work how do i work out my pumping schedule if you're pumping how do i you know get my child ready for daycare how do i learn how to you know navigate and communicate with a childcare provider um, and that can be pretty anxiety provoking <laughs> so the the emotional turmoil of it all i would really recommend approaching it with a 
kind of an attitude of compassion towards yourself. You know, these are decisions that you've never had to make before. And if you're feeling like, oh my God, I'm, I'm overwhelmed and I'm um, stressed out and I'm feeling a little anxious about making these decisions um, and you might not normally be someone who gets stressed out over decisions, you know, take it easy on yourself. Be compassionate. Think about how would you speak to a friend who was going through this as opposed to jumping to any, any negative self-talk about it. Mm-hmm. And especially when you are heading back to the workplace, a place where you're expected to be competent and professional and kind of a, you know, a go-getter and check things off the list and do them right. Um, having these things that you have to check off the list that you are not prepared for is can be a little nerve wracking. So just like we talked about before, having the professionals who you can reach out to, having the social support that you can reach out to, colleagues at work who have made that transi- transition before. Um, if you're in a large workplace, chances are someone else has taken maternity leave before you have. <laughs> so don't be afraid to to reach out and ask those questions. Sit down, you know, use your lunch break time to talk to other moms who have gone through that at your workplace. And if at any point you are feeling you're really feeling like you're drowning in your overwhelm, it's it's not there's total I'm kind of trying to, you know, break down the shame about reaching out to a mental health professional, because it does not mean you have a mental health problem to feel overwhelmed and scared and anxious. I would say you're, you're, you know, right on the normal emotional, (laughs) on on the normal emotional uh, scale spectrum with that. But having someone to talk through those issues can right away bring down some of that anxiety. Yeah. And it is a totally overwhelming the time of life. <laughs> yes. There's one other thing that I'd love to, to touch um, while we're on the, the emotional conversation. And that's the kind of the emotions that get wrapped up or that get brought out in what this means for my identity. And it's kind of what I call the social aspect. Um, so what does it mean for me to adopt this, this new identity. If I, you know, had a really strong professional identity before and in those weeks, first, firstborn, you know, newborn postpartum, I adopted this really strong motherhood identity. What does it mean to merge those two? And, and there's lots of different ways you might be feeling about that, um, new identity. Do I merge them? Do they, are they compatible? Um, and the, the emotions that come along with that. Yeah. So tell me more about that because I find that is a huge, oh, such a hard thing to do to figure out who you are now. You know, what are the new aspects of yourself and how they join together with the old aspects that maybe you had really well defined and cemented. And then this new component is laid over it that can even challenge some of those, uh, some of that identity that you, or definitions that you had for yourself. So can, yeah, talk to me more about that. Sure. And, and this is, I mean, I will go into a little, a little more personal and, and see if, you know, some folks might resonate with this. So let's say you're, you are one of those people that has a really strong professional identity and you, you know, are happy to go to work. You love your job and you take a lot of kind of identity building and pride in, in what you do. And, and then all of a sudden you have this other thing 
this beautiful, you know, thing that's totally new, but you don't feel like you're competent at it for, for the first few weeks, at least. I literally from one day to another became a mother, but I need to honor that transition. And I need to give myself that learning time and that learning curve that comes with anything new. And so in adopting that new identity, taking on, it goes along with the sense of curiosity, taking the time to, to enjoy the learning process when it's maybe not so enjoyable. (laughs) (laughs) And then in adding that layer onto the professional identity, you know, what does it mean to now have to balance those? It's, you know, the kind of the workplace rhetoric is, is like, okay, you're, you know, on work mode at work and you're on parent mode at parent, um, parent time. And a lot of times, you know, we, we weave them together. You know, we, we can't stop thinking about our kid or we can't stop, you know, if something comes up with childcare, we need to handle that during the workplace time. So knowing that those two don't have to exist separately, but you also don't have to figure out right away what it means that crafting that identity and figuring it out is also part of the process and that, that transition time. Oh, I love that. I love the idea of crafting your identity because it can be really hard, especially if, if you're like feel really competent in your workplace, then suddenly feeling very incompetent in something that's quote unquote supposed to be natural and come, you know, just automatically happen. I remember when I, when my daughter was born, I had never changed a diaper, which is ridiculous to say, but, but it was the truth. And then not being able to just take a step back and think, you know what? There's no way you should like be super competent in this because you don't have not done this before. You've never changed a diaper. Sure, you'll learn it and you'll figure it out, but don't put that guilt on yourself or that level of, of rigor and stress. And then because then you start spiraling down with feelings of, of guilt and of failure and of like, right? That mind just that, that self criticizing monster, as I like to call it, just comes up and it can it can tear you down yeah yeah and it's I mean as you were just saying it's every day you're learning something things you had never done before and it it takes patience with yourself as much as it takes patience with everyone else (laughs) yeah and I and I think that's something that Everyone else, because of our cultural beliefs, there isn't that much patience for the new parent. Right. There might be a kind of in writing or, you know, everyone's like, oh, yeah, great. Well, you'll, you're, you know, you'll, you'll transition back in or your, you know, things will be covered while you're gone. And sometimes it's like you might get emergency phone calls from workplace people not knowing what to do in your absence, or you might, you know, there might not be in, in practice that, that warm, flexible attitude that was communicated to you. So also that's where, you know, put, put the advocacy hat on a little bit. And during pregnancy, thinking about what kind of, workplace culture exists um, where you are and thinking about, do I, do I want to help shift that at all? Or is this, you know, is this culture something that's going to be 
right for me to come back into? And if it's not feeling um, that supportive right now, how can I you know, talk to my coworkers, talk to my employer to make it a little more receptive to what I know my needs will be? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, because that can be really a, a huge shock too. And again, those you're very vulnerable during pregnancy and postpartum. That's just a, that's just a, it is a thing. I mean, your brain waves change. It is physically in your physical body there is a vulnerability that comes with it because it does make you more in, in, in tune with your body and have higher intuition when you're birthing. So those things are real. But then it makes it harder to sort of stand up for yourself and advocate, I find. Yeah, it's, I mean, if if your experience is anything like mine or my experience is anything like yours and, and the folks out there listening, um, if your experiences are anything like this, it's, it's the self-doubt is kind of all pervasive just because there's so much newness at one time and that element of vulnerability that you just mentioned. For sure. Yeah. I know it's like a big, overwhelming, kind of daunting task that people need to face <laughs> as part of their their realities. But I would encourage people to like, you know, really tackle it as soon as possible. And also, you've heard us say over and over again how important it is for all of us as a nation to have better support for our postpartum families and have better paid leave, basically, or have paid leave. So since research shows that universal paid leave is beneficial for everybody, what are some of the current initiatives that people can support to help move that needle forward? Um, so over, I mean, really over the past few decades, there has there has been a concerted effort of like unrelenting <laughs> movement building around this issue. And so one way that you can help get involved in that is to write or email your congressperson to expe- express your support as a constituent. And I think that's something that's always helpful for me to remind myself is they work for us. <laughs> the politicians are supposed to work for the people. So if there are things that we know are important for the well-being of our families, our communities, then writing that person to let them know as your constituent, please do your job of advocating for, for my needs and for the needs of my community. I think we we can't underestimate that. And these days there, it's really easy. There's like a pre-written email form where you basically type in your your, uh, zip code and it'll auto-populate with your uh, representative. If you are in a state where there currently isn't a state-level policy, then there is probably state-level efforts going on. And that often takes place um, in the form of a, a committee that overseen by either the governor or someone in the governor's staff. Um, and so you can look into ways you can like literally Google your state and uh, paid leave committee. Um, and a lot of times it'll, it'll pop up right away. I know in California, that committee was very active in getting our state level program up and running. For small business folks, an organization called the Main Street Alliance has done a great job of advocating for for small business owners and and actually kind of business businesses large and small have have been getting involved in the the paid leave fight if you will by simply adding 
again, adding your company name, adding your company support to that push for the passing of a federal policy. Ariana, thank you so much for sharing all your wisdom, all your information, and for all the work you do. Thank you. It's always an honor (laughs) to talk with you. And as a birthful listener, I'm so glad that I get to contribute to the conversation that we all learn so much from every week. That was researcher and consultant Ariana Taboada, who is also the owner of The Expecting Entrepreneur, a strategic advisory firm focused on parental leave planning for founders. Since 2015, she's worked to disrupt the dominant narrative that growing a family is incompatible with growing a company and also has been providing practical tools to ensure that founders, babies, and businesses all thrive during the perinatal period. I find that her book called The Expecting Entrepreneur, A Guide to Planning Parental Leave for Service-Based Business Owners to be a fantastically practical resource for both entrepreneurs and non-entrepreneurs alike. You can learn more at theexpectingentrepreneur.com or find Ariana on Instagram at Ariana Taboada. I hope that your main takeaway from our conversation is just how imperative it is for your emotional, mental, and physical stability that you push for what you deserve when planning for parental leave and your return to work. So set aside some time, break it down into small chunks, and just start with the first task. To help you with that, you can find a state-by-state overview of paid family and medical leave laws in the U.S. at the website abetterbalance.org, which is the link that Ariana referred to during our conversation. You can connect with Birthful on Instagram at Birthful Podcast. And in fact, if you are not driving, you know the drill. We would love it if you take a screenshot of this episode right now and post it to Instagram to your stories, sharing your biggest takeaway from the episode, or if you had an aha moment on how you can better plan your parental leave. Make sure to tag at Birthful Podcast so we can see it and amplify it. You can find the in-depth show notes and transcript of this episode at birthful.com, where you can also learn more about my birth and postpartum preparation classes and download your free postpartum preparation plan. And if you find that this podcast is an invaluable resource for you, then the best way to support us is by taking any one of my classes or by trying out some of the wonderful products made by our sponsors. This is what allows us to continue doing this work. Birthful is created and produced by me, Adriana Lozada, with production assistance from Asia Plati. This episode was produced in part by LWC Studios, Paulina Velasco, Jen Chen, Cedric Wilson, and Kojin Tashiro. Thank you so very much for listening to and sharing Birthful. Be sure to follow us on GoodPod, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, and everywhere you listen, and then come back for more ways to inform your intuition. Hey, Mighty One, did you know that if you started listening to one birthful episode per day at the start of your pregnancy, your baby would be about three months old before you got through all of them? 
That is so much birthful. So to ease us into the summer and to help you catch up on your listening, we're going back to releasing one episode per week instead of two. Now you know. 